Not in my vocabulary until this week. Holy impatience. I need a little bit of that. And maybe I have a little bit of that, and I like it now. So I'm going to maybe, I didn't know what to do with it. I have a category for it. Now it's holy impatience. Tells his disciples, my soul will not be satisfied until I do what I have been called to do. The work that I have been called to do in this life. And when Jesus does this work, it creates quite a firestorm, right? And so that's verse number 51 through 53, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because Reese did an excellent job of, of covering that. that. There's a house divided now. That when Jesus takes the wrath of God and takes upon himself our sin on the cross and dies and raises from the dead, that you got to do something with that. And there's division. And so Jesus says, do you think I've come to give peace on earth? I love that he doesn't stop. Because if Jesus paused between 51 and 52, the disciples and everybody else would say what? Yes, we do think you came to bring peace. In fact, we think that's what the scriptures say. I mean, there's that whole thing about Jesus, Prince of Peace. You remember that? And then there's all these other passages. I mean, it even spilled over into Luke in the beginning of chapter number one that Jesus was going to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and guide our feet into the way of peace. There it is again, Jesus. Yes, we think you're going to give us peace. The angels said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. I mean, Jesus even made it his catchphrase a little bit. If you go to Luke chapter number 7, verse number 50, at the end of the miracle, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See that time? Go in peace. Go in peace. So do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Yes, I do think that. I mean, that's part of the gig. That's what being the Messiah is, right? You're going to come, overthrow the Romans, overthrow the, those who are occupying our country, and you're going to establish peace. That's what you're going to do. But the peace that we so often think of is fleeting and, and fleeing, right? It's fragile, I mean, we can't have lasting peace in this temporary age. It's only in the end of ages when Jesus comes again and that fire rains down on the wicked and it separates those who are in Christ from those who are not and it purifies the human race that we'll actually have real peace. And that's what we see. I mean, we see the lion laying down with the lamb and uh, we see all of these blessings that come from the peace of God in that time. We see weapons being beaten into plowshares. You can't do that today because any peace that we have is temporary. But in the meantime, what do we hold on to? We hold on to Romans 5.1. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to get peace from our current situations and circumstances, but we don't have to worry about the wrath of God anymore. That that wrath, that fire has been consumed and it has been laid on Jesus on our behalf. And so we have peace with God. There's no more, no more wrath that is coming our way. But that does not put us in a place of peace with people, does it? After Christ's death, people have to make a choice. Is Jesus the Son of God and the Savior of sinners or is he not? And is, in knowing God immediately alienates you from half of the world's population. Because when Jesus came, 
I mean, he split humanity right down the middle. Because now you are pitted as one who is being clarified against those who will be consumed. And there is a war that rages on. And I think sometimes we erroneously attribute that to the gospel. <clears throat> and we say, well, the gospel is doing that. The gospel is offensive. And the gospel is bringing this strife and division. And I think even in a right way, we say that the gospel is offensive. And it is. Because it starts with, you are a sinner condemned to die before God. That's offensive. But the fire either consumes or clarifies depending on the matter. And so the thing that brings strife and divisions is the heart. It's the state of humanity. And so if your heart is right, it clarifies. And if your heart is wicked, it consumes. J.C. Ryle said this, Let us never be moved by those who charge the gospel with being the cause of strife and division on the earth. Some people say, just get rid of the Christians. Everything will go back to being peaceful. Um, study the time of history before Christ. Give that a read every now and then. And that'll be a reminder that the gospel is not to blame. It is the corrupt heart of man that is to blame. So long as some men and women will not report, repent and believe, some will, there will always be division. To be surprised at this is the height of folly. The very existence of division is one proof of Christ's foresight and the truth of Christianity. It's a good quote. I really like J.C. Ryle. So good. I mean, there's divisions. Don't be surprised by that. People hated Jesus, they'll hate you. It's a sign of the times. Now, if Jesus would just end there, but he doesn't, he goes further, and he presses his hearers to make a decision. All right? So if we're here, we're, we're reading this. Christ says, I have come to start a fire. I'm going to be baptized into death by crucifixion. I'm going to take the wrath of God, the fire of God, not be consumed by it, but raised three days later and accomplish salvation for all. And now Jesus says, what are your thoughts about that? He presses into them. He had come to cast fire on the earth, the fire of judgment. He had a baptism to endure, the baptism of the cross. His work as Savior and Judge is going to cause a division that's going to cut right down the center of humanity. And he says, what side are you on? The consumed side or the clarified side? Are you either with Christ or we are against him? We either trust in Christ and his cross or we ignore and reject him. We are either the people of God or we are against them. In Appalachian vernacular, I used to say, you're either a saint or you ain't. Cuts right down the heart of humanity. And so he tells the crowds, he says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but you don't know what's about to happen at this present time. What is it that they should have seen? Luke is the gospel of knowing for sure. It's shown us, what, 12 chapters worth of exactly what Jesus is saying and doing. We go back to Luke 4, the hens chapter, the programmatic mission of Jesus. 
and he quotes Isaiah. And then how's the end? He says, and so it has been fulfilled. I mean, this is the guy who fulfills prophecies. And so what about you, Theophilus? We forget about Theophilus, don't we? That Luke is just one big gospel track written to Theophilus, this lover of God who might have been a Roman official. We don't know, but it's a person and it's written that you may know with absolute certainty the things of Christ. So what about it, Theophilus? Can you see the sign of the times? And you're looking back. You see him being baptized in the death. You see the resurrection. Do you have absolute certainty? What about you, Emmanuel? Do you have absolute certainty today? Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. Miracles displaying his divine power. Demons obey him and tremble at him. They are cast out by the finger of God. Revelation, natural revelation testifies of him. The human body, the heavens declare the glory of God. All around you are testimonies. Read the signs of the time, Jesus would say. A storm is coming. My favorite movie is this Twister. It's an old 90s flick, and they're going to remake it this year. So good. And it's about these rogue scientists who are trying to change how we predict tornadoes and give advance warning to save lives. What's Jesus saying here? He says, you don't need a Dorothy. Dorothy was that thing that they made to try to send the sensors up into the tornado to find out more about it. He says, you don't need a Dorothy. You don't need a sensor. You don't need advanced radar. You can look and the sky says the judgment of God is coming on this place. That's true for us. There's an urgency there. We've got to tell people the gospel because we're still in the in-between. First coming came and Jesus took the wrath of God in our place for our sins, was baptized, baptized into death, by crucifixion but he's coming again in a second coming and bringing the wrath of God and it will be a consuming fire and we ought to have a sense of urgency both for ourselves and for those who would hear our warning this would make such a good track a gospel track that you hand out because before the fire falls make sure you have a right relationship with God before the fire and that brings us to our passage today. That was introduction. Welcome. Um, so 12, verse number 57, 59. This is that last little bit of meat on the bone that Pastor Reese left me, and I love it, and it is good, and I just had to get some speed before we get into it. Because Jesus is pressing them. We've already found out all this information about the coming judgment, and what, the, what is Jesus' words to us? They're words of hope. They were words of hope to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the legalists. Settle your case today. Settle it today. Let's look at verse number 57. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? Here's a, I mean, that's a good option. I like this option, Jesus. Instead of the wrath of God consuming you, why don't you just judge what is right? You have the information. Be your own judge. In work, I like to say to my employees, manager, be managed. Why don't you just go ahead and manage it? And you're like, oh, that's an option? Yeah. Jesus here shrewdly advocates for a speedy resolution to your case. 
He says, just judge for yourselves what is right. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I will tell you, you'll never get out until you pay the last penny. What an invitation. Jesus uses the legal system to make a point. He says there are times where it's really good for you as a defendant to go through the trouble of a legal proceeding. You want to go before a jury and have your case heard. This is not that time. There's a time where it makes really sense, a lot of sense. We have a slam dunk case that shows your innocence and you got a good chance of winning. But if you're guilty, you don't want to go to court. And you especially don't want to go to court if you have no way to mount a good defense. It's always more advantageous to settle out of court. We learned that from big companies today, right? You never want to go to court. You never want to get in front of a jury of your peers. Settle that baby on the way. Don't go through the trouble. And that's Jesus' advice to you today. This is a good advice. Judgment is coming. It's already, I can't wait to get this party started, this, this fire. I can't wait for it to be lit. I'm going to take the wrath of God. On the other side is the extension of salvation to everyone who will hear it. Everybody who will believe and put their faith and trust in my atoning work. But in the second coming, the fire's coming. It's going to consume or it's going to clarify. You look at the sky and you can tell what it's going to do. Well, look at it and see the judgment of God is here. You better settle out of court. You better settle it now. You're running out of time, he would say. He said a lawsuit is in progress, a writ is being issued, a heavy sentence is impending, and all those who ignore the plain sign of the way things are going will only have themselves to blame when they are finally called to account. You say, well, how do I settle? Well, settling, any settlement begins with an admission of guilt. If you're going to go kicking and screaming, thinking you're innocent the whole way, you don't want to settle out of court. But I'm telling you right now, you have a terrible defense. I know most of you, and you know me, and I am not free of sin. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. All of we, our hearts are an idle factory, Luther said. All of us are guilty before a holy and righteous God. Unless we see how sinful we are, we'll never know how much we need to get right with God. Settling begins with an admission of guilt. It says, confess that your accusation is just and that we deserve to be punished for the crimes we have committed. Right, so the difference between the Pharisee who's saying, thank God I'm not like that guy, and the publican who beats his chest and says, God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. The guy who says, I'm not that bad, I don't deserve hell, I don't deserve death, is the guy that's going to get the full weight of the wrath of God in judgment. But if you agree with the accusation, you're on the way to court already. Time is coming, and you say, you know what? I'm just going to fess up. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of your standard, and I deserve justice. I deserve the wages of sin, Paul tells us, is death. And people who die in their sins deserve the fiery prison of, of hell. I deserve that. If you're on the way to court and you say, I agree with you. Can we settle this out of court? Can we settle this before we get to the judge? 
Because listen, if you go all the way through with it, and you take it to court, and you lose, and you are cast into the prison of hell, there's no way out. I always think sometimes it's incredibly unfair how our own judicial system works, um, because a lot of times you have to pay in order to, that was part of your sentence, like, well, in your prison, how do you pay? You can't work, you can't, I mean, you're just stuck there. In this instance, we get exactly what we deserve. It's not unfair. It's that we have no way in and of ourselves to produce the righteousness we need to absolve the things we have done aside from Christ. And you can never get out because you can't repay what you owe. And so any attempt other than trusting in Christ looks a lot like my little brother with that trickle hose on that big flaming consuming fire. It's not going to quench the justice of God. The wicked will be placed in hell until they pay their debt to the uttermost farthing. And they will never pay it. It is certain that they will be there to all of eternity. Because they have offended an eternal, righteous God. So, oh, that's really, that's bad news. No, 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 no. Don't leave here with it being bad news. This is the best news. Because the judge, the one who is going to bring the fire and bring the wrath of God, is also the guy who offers salvation. And you're walking with him on the way to court right now. You're going there. And the case is easily settled. All you have to do is agree with him. You're right that I have sinned against the holy and righteous God. I do deserve death and hell. And he says, I offer you a way out. The same one who comes in judgment also suffered judgment on your behalf for your sins. The judge of the high court is willing to be your savior on the way to the cross, on the way to court. You think about fires, and it's like a valve. And Jesus offers all of us the opportunity to just turn off the valve because he already took the fire for us took the wrath. Case is easily settled. God the Son fully satisfied. It is finished. All the wrath of God has been poured out on him. We don't have to taste any of it if you settle your case. Not with a water hose, but he did it with his blood. Let's go ahead and we'll bow our heads in a word of prayer. Before we uh, go to the Lord in prayer, just in the quietness of this moment, so it give us some space to process the scripture. So that I think it would make a great gospel track. I mean, this is Jesus imploring with you today to settle your case. I thank God that we're surrounded by believers um, who, most of us, there's no guarantee that it's all of us. There could be a Judas in our midst and but most of us have settled that case, and we rejoice. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus this morning. The wrath of God has been satisfied by the Son. But if you're here today, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I've never trusted Christ. I'm living the same way today that I was yesterday and for years and years and years as though there is no God, as though there's no, nothing testifying, as though I'm not reading the sky 
and thinking about God's judgment. And he would say, I need to turn from my wickedness. I need to turn from my sin. I need to settle out of court. You can do that today. Admit that you're guilty. You've offended a holy and righteous God. You've not lived up to the standards. You've lied. You've cheated. You've stole. Let's agree with him. It's, it's just. I deserve it. I deserve death. I deserve to be punished for what I've done. I have been the evil in somebody's life. I have worked the works of my father, the devil. And once we agree with Christ, we believe on him. We put our trust in the judge, who is also our savior, that he will absolve the wrath of God and already has, and that his righteousness will be given to me, that when God looks at me, he will no longer see me, the lawbreaker, the accused, but he will see his son, the law keeper, the righteous one, who died in my place and for my sins, who did what I could not do, and who lived the life that I couldn't live. And it's the blood of Christ that absolves us, that quenches the wrath of God. And so we plead it this morning. And so if you just admit that you are a sinner and you have offended God and you plead the blood of Christ on your account, the judge will become your counselor. And a verdict of not guilty will be read. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great salvation. I pray that no one here would take this to court, that they would settle it today. Today would be the day of salvation. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand for the last song. We sing this.